You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. Uh, we continue our series on the person of Jesus, Love Walked Among Us, as we're looking in the variety of ways that Jesus loved in the Gospels. First, we saw that love looks, love forgives. Last week, we talked about love is extravagant. God's love for us and for everyone is extravagant. We see that Jesus has loved many, many ways. This morning, we're going to look at this encounter with the blind man and the many conversations about him and see Jesus, Jesus express compassionate love while the others in the story express judgment. So let's turn our attention to John chapter 9. We're going to look at the whole 41 verses, but for now I'm just going to read to verse 12. So it's from 1 to 12. As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. They said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Shalom and wash. So I went, washed, and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, again, Lord, as we gather around your word this morning, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do your work of grace, that you would change us, as that song reminds us that the power of your love changes us and makes us new. And as we're new, we're able to, to express love as Jesus often expressed love in ways that are just totally amazing, but totally true and biblical. So help us, Lord, to um, look at this passage, help us to learn from this passage, convict us, change us in the midst of this time together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some of you know my story. You know, many years ago in 2005, my wife and I and our two kids, uh, decided to plant a multi-ethnic church, multi-racial church in Columbia, Maryland. We have a heart to see a, a churches be more and more reflective of, our, reflective of the society in which we live, a biblical conviction. So Columbia is a beautiful place. It's a very diverse place, both racially and somewhat economically. And so we chose Columbia to go and to plant this church. And it's because it's a church founded on this diversity. But we had an experience that surprised us. When my uh, wife and my son, as many of you know, our son, our, my son and daughter are adopted. They are African-American. And so when my, my, my wife, Val, and my son, Samuel, when they went to the grocery store at Giant 
in Columbia, they were surprised at what they encountered. They were, they were grocery shopping, and so Samuel asked Val, can I just go to the other aisle? He was about seven years old, and Samuel was very trustworthy at that age. He said, can I just go over and look at the toys? And Val said, sure, I'll be there shortly, so I'll just, you know, you can go ahead and head there. So as, she, as he was looking at the toys, Val, when she was around the corner, saw this woman who happened to be white, an employee of Giant. I'm not picking on Giant. I'm just saying this is where it took place. Um, and had this very judgmental look on her, like just looking at Samuel in such a way that she expected Samuel to steal something. Val noticed that really clearly and, and quickly as she, as she saw this encounter that this woman was looking at my son as a way that, she, that he might be a potential criminal, right? Val said, he belongs to me. And that was the end of the discussion. She walked away and then they, I think, lingered a little bit more. I share that encounter because I think all of us, right, have the potential or do judge others. You know, it could be I often find myself judging people and how they drive. Nobody drives as perfectly as I do, right? <laughs> or in what they wear or what they believe or how they live. Often all of us are tempted to judge others if they don't measure up to a particular standard in which we think people should measure up to. This encounter that Jesus has with the blind man and his disciples and the, and the Pharisees, again, reminds us of the kind of love we're to express to people. These conversations, in fact, often challenge us as well, and to, we need to decide, am I loving like, more like Jesus, or am I loving more like the disciples and the Pharisees in this passage. So this morning, my desire is to look at three questions that will hopefully break us from our gravitation towards judging and helping us to show love through compassion. So the three questions are these. What is judging? Why do we judge others? And what helps us to judge less? So what is judging? Let me ask it another way. What does judging look like? We can see clearly, clearly in this passage contrasting how Jesus relates to the blind man versus how the disciples and the Pharisees relate to the blind man. Let's first look how, let's contrast Jesus and the disciples. Again, let me read that section real quickly. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples said, Rabbi, you, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I'll just stop there. Again, what do we notice here? Remember the first message I talked about Jesus looking, right? Here again, we see that Jesus looks. He says he saw, right? Jesus took notice, right? Again, the importance of looking. As we take notice, as we look, as we look at somebody, right, we get to begin to understand their story and what's going on. So Jesus looked for the purpose to know this man's story. The disciples looked was one of passing over, like, like they were more concerned about talking about theology. They see him as an object lesson about suffering. But Jesus stops and looks and focuses on the blind man while the disciples, in a sense, talk in front of him as if he wasn't even there. So Jesus stopped long enough for them to notice him and then hear their question. And so Jesus may have had the purpose 
have done that for the purpose to help them to help the disciples see that they are to love all types of people. Jesus sees a man to love and to save. The disciples, again, see a theological puzzle and treat him as an object for discussion. And that somewhat makes sense, and to give maybe a break for the disciples. In the first century, people saw suffering and concluded that a person did something to offend God. And so often, in most cases, a sufferer directed anger towards himself. What was wrong with me? Now, in our 21st century, we see suffering, and what do we do? We often blame God, right? Why would God do such a thing, right? So you can imagine how the blind man must have felt to hear Jesus' answer. See, through suffering, we see God, right? The man's darkness is a door to what? To God's light. Jesus takes something that seems ugly, painful, broken, and begins to make it beautiful, to make it whole. And even before he heals a man of the blindness. We see in this passage that Jesus sees redemption. What does he say? I am the light of the world. In that contrast to darkness, right? I'm, I'm the light of the world. I'm about the exposing darkness. And here he's, he's, he's wanting to expose both physical darkness and spiritual darkness. But the disciples see no hope. They just see him as a blind man who will always be blind. Jesus sees opportunity to glorify God. The disciples see an opportunity to glorify themselves, right? They're not blind, so they must not have sinned. Now, that should strike us as funny because the disciples in that time were often considered misfits to the culture of the day. Jesus doesn't judge the blind man. But we see the disciples judging him already, assuming already that he is blind due to his sin or to his parents' sin. They made an assumption that he did something wrong. Jesus defends the blind man. The disciples blame the blind man, blame his parents. Jesus touches the blind man. The disciples seem to be distant and seem to feel superior. Jesus provides immediate healing and care, restores the sight, provides, but provides even more deeper healing. I am the light of the world. The disciples offer no help. So let me ask you, think about this scenario. If you were the blind man and you ever heard the disciples talking about you in that way, how would you feel? Would you feel warm and fuzzy? No, you would feel like you would be treated as an object. You would feel sad. You would feel maybe even angry. Well, what have I done to deserve such, such people to see me that way? You might doubt even your worth as you hear that conversation. Let me ask it in the positive. How would you feel if you ever heard what Jesus said about you? You would feel hopeful. You would feel encouraged. You would feel understood. You would be care feel cared for. You would feel valued. Now, it wasn't Jesus' intent to make disciples to feel bad. Not at all. Or even to judge the disciples. Not at all. But if I put myself in that scenario, and if I had compassion on the blind man, what I would do often, I would pervert it, right? I would have judged his disciples for not showing compassion. 
I would say, see, you, you didn't love well, but look how I loved. Aren't I good? Give myself a high five, right? That's how I would twist this, right? But Jesus is tender with his disciples. He doesn't shame them or rebuke them, but he simply answers their question and shows them how to show compassion. Think of that other person more than in theological terms. Think of him not as a sinner, but as one who is suffering and who needs the hope of Jesus' love, right? Now let's contrast Jesus and the Pharisees. Let me read this section. It's an amazing section. They're 13 through 41. Now look how the difference is between how Jesus and the Pharisees love this man. They brought to the Pharisees a man who had firmly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked, again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what, did, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and, re- and received his sight until they called the parents of him who received his sight. And he asked them, is this your son who, say, who says he was born blind? And how does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But now how he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already, well, sorry about that. He feared the Jews, for, for the Jews, he had already agreed that if anyone had confessed Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? He, and how did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've already told you. And you were not, listen, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? I love that. (laughs) Do you want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciples, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has there been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out Just again, the movement of compassion. He heard about this, and having found him, again, he pursues this blind man. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. 
And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees heard him, heard these things, and he said to him, and they said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you could have you wouldn't have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So what do we see here? We see Jesus seeks the blind man and says and wants to save him. The Pharisees seek out the blind man, what? To challenge him and challenge his story because they didn't believe him, right? They cast him out of the synagogue, which is a first century way of shunning and ostracizing someone. Jesus gives spiritual sight. The Pharisees condemn him. What did they say? Born in utter sin. They give him a hard time. They're more concerned about getting Jesus in trouble, and then finding fault in him. They're more concerned, they're less concerned about this man. Jesus respects this blind man. The Pharisees devalue him, do not believe him, are trying to use him in order to discredit Jesus. So what is, what is judging? Well, first of all, it's being distant with people. It's a sense that we feel superior to them. So we put them down either in our thoughts or often in our words and actions. We have a mentality that we are better than you, that I am better than you, and you are better than me. Others don't measure up to our standards, so they're not worthy of our time. They're not worthy of our respect. They're not worthy of our interest. And we let other people know about our disdain of others. We have contempt for those not like us. Or what, or what, how, like Ah, forgive me. We have contempt for those not like us, so we say and do things that put them in an unfavorable light. We allow our traditions, our upbringing, to determine the one values. We analyze for the sake of feeling good about ourselves. Yesterday, my daughter and I were having a conversation about, about Christianity and about how many in her, her age bracket, she's almost 20, have no desire for the church because they see the church as primarily a church that judges and doesn't welcome. A church that is more about concerned about having things right than loving people who may be broken and needy. And I wanted to take up for Christianity, but in many ways we have, fell, we have fallen, right? We are known more for what we're against than what we're for. We're more known for um, Condemning people, then welcoming and receiving them, loving them the way that Jesus loves them, no matter where they're from or where their backgrounds are. So how do we, how do we, so why do we judge others? Why do we judge others? Matthew, Jesus in Matthew 7, 1, 2 says this, Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Harry Nowen, a Catholic priest, left a prestigious teaching position at Harvard Divinity School to live in a community devoted to the care of adults who have severe disabilities. This is what he said on this verse. He says, in order to be a service to others, listen carefully to what he says. The quote is up on the screen. We have to die to them. That is, we have to give up measuring our meaning and value with the yardstick of others. 
To die to our neighbors means to stop judging them and thus to become free to be compassionate. See, compassion can never coexist with judgment because judgment creates the distance, the distinction, which prevents us from really being with the other. Do not judge and you will, be, you will not be judged yourself is a word of Jesus that is indeed very hard to live up to, but it contains the secret of compassion. So what makes you and I so attracted to judging others? We can share the image. There is the self on our throne. Notice the godlike stance of judging. See, the basic problem that we have in human relationships goes all the way back to our ancient rebellion against God. We've taken a godlike stance above others and relate to them from that superior position. We have similar thoughts as the disciples and the Pharisees. For instance, what judgmental thoughts go through your mind when you see a child in a public place screaming and kicking his parents? What might you be tempted to think about the parents? What might you be tempted to think about the child? They may be ill-equipped parents, but you do not know. You're not in their shoes. I've been in public places where my children has acted out and I was powerless to know what to do. It's a very humbling position to be in. So this is how it could be playing out in our minds and actions and when we see that scene, right? Too often we stand at a distance, right? And we're quick to put them in a box and say, they didn't do that, they didn't do this, they should have done that and they shouldn't have done that, right? Or we give advice before even taking time to understand what's going on with them and in their lives. Or we let our standards get in the way of seeing others. It's not wrong to have standards, but if we're letting that get in our way in order to see and to look, often our posture and facial expressions show a judgmental heart. Ask my kids as I was raising them, they saw my judgmental spirit in my eyes. See, we even add to their burden, right, by, instead of taking their burden. Why? Because we pile on guilt, on shame, on people because they don't measure up to what we think they should measure up to. We give the law, but we show no grace or compassion. But not only that, not only do we have self on the throne, there's other things that we put on that throne, right? Again, keeping the law for the Pharisees was more important to them than showing compassion to others. But in fact, they had a wrong view of the Sabbath. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath says it's okay to show acts of mercy and compassion on Sabbath. That's what Jesus was doing here with the blind man. So they don't even get it right. They they think they know the law, but they're not even being faithful to the law. See, they they and we find more comfort and peace and control in what we know. No, this is how we're to do it. We should do it in no other way. We always done it this way. We need to keep doing it this way. And we don't associate with people who have different kinds of beliefs or anything else, right? We're more concerned about that, keeping control of that, than than, than finding contentment in our relationship with Jesus. See, See, our set of standards often are a place for us to be safe and tidy. So judging is so so natural for us because it makes us feel in control and superior and better than others. 
That is why self is on the throne. That is why we are so often, often tempted and do judge others. But what gets us off that cycle of judging? Let's show the other chart. What, is, what shows a cycle of judging? It is Christ is on the throne. Do you have that image? There we go. The cross is on the throne. Last night, I was able to speak to a, a, a new church plant in Urbana called the Home Church. It's a very unique, unique church because they meet at the ranch. I don't know if many of you know about the ranch in Urbana, but it's a residential home for people struggling with um, alcohol and drug addiction. And so the church was fatigued. They have decided to, to have their worship services at the ranch. Last night, I was out... Uh, one of the elementary schools where we did a discipleship training on the gospel, the gospel and addictions. Majority, so here, here's the makeup of this church. It is, it is mostly white men who are struggling with their addictions and young Asian professionals who have decided to find ways to connect the gospel to one another's story. These are not two natural groups that you often see together. But on both, as I, as I, as I, as I led a discussion on, on, on the biblical view of addictions and the gospel, it was a beautiful discussion, not of judgment, but trying to understand, hearing the stories of those who struggle with addictions, hearing the stories of even uh, us, uh, those who are not maybe in those addictions, but how we all struggle with addictions. We, we all go to something, right, to give life. It could be chocolate. It could be, it could be our kids. It could be our exercise. It could be a variety of things that we go to, right? That we're all in the same boat. That's what they were modeling to me last night. They're all in the same boat, right? Why do they think that way? Why do they know that they're in great need just as much as those who are struggling in the midst of addictions? And this is a, the secret to help us to judge less, Right? We need to believe and experience for ourselves the love of Jesus. Because Jesus himself has come not to judge us in our sin, but to save us and to rescue us from our sins. Look at what he says in verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. He's He's about showing us what this light is. It's to expose our darkness, all of our darkness. And then later on he says, Jesus heard that the man that they had cast him out. Jesus, again, pursuing this blind man, right? Having found the blind man, he said, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, you're looking at him, <laughs> right? And he said, I, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And, and Jesus said, that for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who, may, who see may become blind. And the Pharisees just struggled to hear that, right? And then in John 3, 17, it says this, Jesus says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In John 12, it says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. I love how Eugene Peterson says it in this way. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger telling the world how bad it was, he came to help to put the world right again. Don't you love that? Let me say it this way. Jesus said, I haven't come to judge and condemn you for not doing doing all the right things, but I've come to move towards you, 
to take your sin burden. I didn't stand outside of you to criticize you. I've came inside to get to know you, to show you comfort and compassion. You see, saving, not judging, describes not only his many encounters with people in the gospel, but also Jesus' whole life. The death of Jesus on the cross was a saving act, right, instead of a judging act. Yeah, he judged, not us, but he put judgment on Christ to deal with the wrath of God that we deserve due to our rebellion. But instead of judging us, God judged his son to save you and me. So how did the blind man respond to the question, do you believe in the Son of Man? He said, yes, I believe. And so you may be thinking, why, why, how could he not believe? But, but I believe Jesus' movement towards him and throughout that conversation, how he pursued him, right? No one else was doing that, but he saw in Jesus not only this compassion, but this man who is different, who has come to save him and to rescue him, to bring his sight both physically and spiritually to him. He saw a man who changed him. And he was changed. What's beautiful about these passages that we're looking at the Gospels, yes, they often point to, the, to how Jesus is the fulfillment of being the Messiah that they were waiting for, right? He, he raises the son to life, right? He, he forgives the sins of people. Here he is... He is um, he is giving sight to the blind. Only God can do that. So he's testifying to his godhood. But also we see in his interaction with people, we see his interaction as someone who is one who is modeling to us how to love one another. Not to stand in judgment, but to stand in ways in which we can show compassion one to another. See, if we believe that he has done this to us, that he has changed us, that we are, we are sons and daughters of the living God, not because... I'm any special person, but because of his love for me in Christ, that Christ has made me right with him, right? That, I am, that I'm his son only because of the merits and works of Christ. Then if I view other people, I should have a different view of other people. I see them just as God sees me. Created in his image, needing help, needing grace, needing compassion. Knowing that I have not arrived, that I'm still in process, that you have not arrived, friends, but you're still in process. So we have been changed by Christ. We've been renewed by Christ. We've been empowered to live as his children, to joyfully worship him in our lives and show compassion and, and not judgment. Why? Because we understand that we are equally valued in the sight of God. No one is better than the other. That, that family who's wrestling with how to best care for the kids is no different than that family who, who may have more of a compliant child. We're equal in the standing of God. God gives us grace in both of those measures. See, what will help you believe? What will help you to judge less, brothers and sisters? It is, like I said, again and again, which I'll say probably after every talk that I give in the next weeks ahead, it is believing the good news, the gospel for yourself. Last week I shared this, and I'll add a couple words to it. Jack Miller has coined this phrase, but it's a radically freeing phrase. He says, cheer up. You are more sinful than you ever thought or imagined. Cheer up. You're a lot more sinful than you thought or imagined, right? But cheer up. You're a lot more loved and accepted and delighted in than you ever thought or imagined. 
And as we are cheering up to that reality, then that will move us towards showing compassion and not judgment to one another and to those in our lives and to those that we come in contact with because we understand and we're believing more and more of this great mercy and grace that we have seen. And so that desire then is to move us to show that compassion one to another. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are the giver of life. And as we look in these encounters, that how, <laughs> Jesus, how you love people in just radical ways, we think, no, we can never love that way. But yet, Lord, we can because the Spirit of Christ lives within us, right? If we say we, we have trusted you, Jesus, for our salvation, then you have set us free from being a, a people that judge, judges. You set us free from condemning. You've set us free from our pride. You've set us free from our self-righteousness. That's our reality. Yeah, we struggle with it, but our primary identity is that we're in Christ, and, and being in Christ means that we put on love that resides in us, and we're able to interact with people in ways that point them to the mercy and grace of Christ. Father, as we look at these examples, let us, let us not be filled with guilt or shame, but let us run to you saying, Lord, help us. Help us believe. Help us to move towards people in such a way that they see the compassion of Christ. Help us to be a, a light among people in this world that says, yes, this is a church that welcomes all kinds of people because they understand the grace that they received in Christ and that young and old would be welcomed here because they're attracted through us because they're seeing Jesus expressed in us and through us. That doesn't mean we compromise what we believe, but it, we, in a way we, we're so much filled with the love of Christ it draws people to taste and see that he is good and that we want to live a life that is pleasing and glorifying to God. Help us in that journey, Lord Jesus. And now, Father, as we spend some time just praying for those requests on our hearts of our congregation. Lord, we pray that as your children, we know that you delight to hear our prayers. And so, Lord, we pray for one's father-in-law whose back needs to be healed. We pray for healing grace upon them. We pray for safe travel for the mother-in-law back on Thursday. And we pray for one, just his husband's coming interview that he will get a visa. Lord, hear these prayers. Answer them for us, we pray. We pray for others in our congregation that are struggling. I think of Winston and, and, and Rodney as... Lord, that you would care for them. Lord, Holy Spirit, minister to their hearts. Thank you for them and the testimony they are to us of your love and grace. Help us to be a blessing to them. Care for them in their time of need. We pray for New Zealand, Zilia, New Zealand and discernment that they're going through and the many hearts that are broken due to the situation there. We pray for the Christians in Africa that they may stay faithful in the midst of persecution. We pray for our friend Steve, that you would care for him. We pray for Terry Garrison, who has broken her leg. We pray, God, that you would bring healing to her, comfort to her. We pray for those who have been in car accidents just recently. Lord, we pray that you bring healing to their bodies, strengthen them, care for them. And Father, we thank you that you hear our prayers. Lord, we thank you that you care 
about us. You care about the nation in which we live, and we pray that you would guide it in truth and in righteousness and in mercy and in justice. And Father, now as we come to this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, help us to be mindful as well of what we're called to be about. Let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us stand and sing and just think and dwell on these words that we're about to sing, how deep the Father's love for us.